Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you granted us safety as we came in today. Thank you for all who have gathered to worship. Lord, we have already sung songs of praise to you. We have confessed our sins and taken hold of your grace. We have listened to your word as it was read to us. And now, Lord, help us as we study your word together as a church family. Help us to understand the message being communicated in this text. Help us to be able to draw out the um, timeless principles that we can apply to our lives. And help us to grow more mature in the faith as a result of the time spent here in your word. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are back here in Daniel chapter 1 today. And the last time we were here, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had laid waste to the kingdom of Judah. He had uh, destroyed uh, the city of Jerusalem. He had looted the Jewish temple. And he had taken their best and brightest into captivity. And Daniel was among these captives. He was only about 15 years old at the time. Nebuchadnezzar's plan was to take Daniel and the other captives to educate them in the language and literature of Babylon, to feed them food from his own table, and then after three years, he would evaluate them. And if his captives passed the test, then he would deploy them into service in his own palace. And as Daniel assessed his situation, he determined that he could indeed learn the language and literature of Babylon. He could even serve in King Nebuchadnezzar's palace, But what he could not do was to put the king's wine and meat into his body. That's because Daniel was a citizen of Judah. And Judah had a covenant with God. Part of their covenant included a series of dietary restrictions. Restrictions which the king of Babylon did not observe. So to eat the king's wine and meat, he would have to forsake the covenant that he had with his God. But Daniel loved God, and he wanted to be faithful to him. This introduced a crisis of conscience for him. You know, friends, over the last couple of years, Christians in the West have found themselves facing crises of conscience more and more as well. Employers and government officials have issued mandates which either try to compel Christians to do things that they believe would be sin, or have sought to prohibit Christians from doing things that they feel they must do in order to please God. Well, what are Christians to do when they find themselves in these situations? How do we resolve a crisis of conscience? Well, the Bible shows us what to do by giving us models that we can follow, like Daniel before us today. And as we look at the uh, book of Daniel today, we learn that the proper response to a crisis of conscience begins in our hearts. Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 together. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So the king of Babylon had issued this mandate. 
Daniel and the other captives had to put his wine and meat into their bodies. But Daniel determined that he could not do this without violating his conscience. For him, it would be sin to do so. So what will Daniel do? The first thing he does is to make a resolution. He resolves in his heart that he will not violate his conscience. He will not eat the king's wine and meat. This is because living before God with a clear conscience really is the most important thing. In fact, 1 Peter 3.21 even describes the act of becoming a Christian as an act of clearing your conscience before God. And our job as Christians is to maintain that clear conscience so that we can worship God in purity and holiness so that there is nothing between us and God as we approach Him so that God can be fully glorified in our lives. We must maintain that clear conscience. 2 Corinthians 1.12 says... Our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience. In 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a clear conscience and a sincere faith. 1 Timothy 3.9, hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. 1 Peter 3.16, keep a good conscience. So we see over and over in the scriptures that living before God with a clear conscience is held forth as, as a defining mark of true Christianity. And so what we find here in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, is that Daniel knows the king's rule. He also knows that obeying that rule would break his conscience. And so he makes this resolution to himself. He will keep his conscience clear. He will not comply with the king's mandate. Now, friends, taking a stand like this requires some real courage. Now, in Daniel's case, he was literally telling the most powerful man in the world that eating his food would pollute his body and injure his soul. That's a bold thing to say. The king of Babylon could have been extremely offended by that. He could have thrown Daniel into jail or even tortured and executed him for this. You know, making this kind of resolution will not be easy for you either. Rules always come down from people in power. And to resist the rule is to put yourself at risk of loss. Loss of employment, loss of money or freedoms. It takes courage to resist a mandate. But for conscience sake, you must sometimes find that courage within you. We notice it also takes some real moral clarity on our part. You have to know where the red lines are. Okay. Again, looking at Daniel's situation, he's had a lot of things imposed upon him recently. He's been ripped out of his homeland, placed into Babylon. He's been given a new Babylonian name. He's been enrolled in this training program. He's going to have to learn the language of the Babylonians, the culture and literature of the Babylonians. Um, he's going to have to serve in King Nebuchadnezzar's palace. 
I mean, a lot of things have been imposed on him recently. And yet for Daniel, the only thing that he will resist is eating the king's meat, drinking his wine. See, these other things may have been very upsetting for Daniel, but as he assessed his situation, he determined that the only matter of sin and righteousness was this matter of eating the king's food. And so this is where he chooses to take his stand. Now, friends, when your time comes, you'll find yourself in need of a similar kind of moral clarity. As you look at at, uh, mandates imposed upon you, you'll have to determine with biblical objectivity, is this just something that I find annoying? Um, Is it just something I don't like? Or would complying with this rule truly lead me to sin against God? Will it truly prohibit me from doing something that God commands me to do? Will it force me to do something that God says I must not do if I'm to be pleasing to Him? Is a moral issue at stake, or is it just a matter of personal distaste? Requires courage, requires moral clarity... But then it also requires us to be well-grounded in the faith. Again, remember Daniel's context. Okay? He was part of the covenant nation of Judah. They had a special relationship with God. But that covenant nation has been destroyed by a pagan empire. Daniel has lost everything. He's been carted off into a foreign land. He's lost his name. He's lost all of his former enjoyments. You know, All of that really could have shaken his view of God. Over the years, I've known a, a number of people who, who had tragedy befall them, and suddenly they didn't know whether God was real anymore. They, they couldn't figure out how this could have happened to them if there truly was a God in heaven. How could he allow this? But as we look at Daniel, we find that despite the incredible tragedies that have come to him, he has not lost his faith in God. He still believes that the God of heaven is there. He believes that God is still sovereign. He believes that God is good. He believes that he must still be faithful to God in all things. Daniel was able to weather this recent tragedy because he had been walking with God his entire life, you see. He knew his scriptures backwards and forwards. He had spent hours before God in in prayer. He had an experiential relationship with God, as well as a strong doctrinal understanding of who He is and how He works. Friends, I would argue that it was His his deeply rooted faith in God which allowed Daniel to have the, the courage and the moral clarity to respond to this mandate in the right way. You see... Those virtues don't just grow out of a vacuum. They have to be rooted in a firm faith in God. So Daniel here exhibits courage, moral clarity, and it's because of his profound faith in God. Friends, if we would be a people of courage and clarity, then we too must become rooted in the faith. We too must spend time 
absorbing the scriptures every single day so that its message becomes a part of us, so that our lives become shaped by its contents. We must go deep into Christian doctrine, too. You know, some people think that that doctrine is just a bunch of esoteric nonsense. But really, doctrine is the bedrock of all Christian living. So we must become well-grounded in it. And we must pursue experiential communion with God, which is done primarily by praying to Him regularly and at length. Friends, then and only then will we be ready to respond to our moment of crisis with a heart resolve that says, I will not violate my conscience for the sake of expediency. Only this will give us the strength that we need. So the right response begins with a resolution in our hearts. We will not violate our conscience. A resolution that requires courage and moral clarity and a deeply rooted faith. But then in the second part of verse 8 and going through to verse 14, we see the next step that we should take. After making the heart resolution, we must then... Uh, commit ourselves to peacefully engaging with the authorities on that point of contention. Again, Daniel is our model here. Notice what he does in verse 8. It says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, okay, here's the action which will flow out of the heart commitment. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, this was surely a very upsetting set of circumstances for Daniel. Everything that has happened to him has been extremely difficult. And now having this mandate handed to him from the king of Babylon, saying that he must do something which he believes would be sin, this has got to be upsetting. And yet, because of his courage and his resolve and his faith, Daniel is able to keep hold of his emotions And respond to this with a great deal of poise. Notice what he does here. He goes directly to his immediate authority. And he explains to the authority the sincere religious objection that he has to the king's mandate. See that at the end of verse 8. He explains that this would defile him. That means it it would pollute his body and injure his soul to take the king's wine and meat. Remember that covenant that he and his nation of Judah had with God. He'd have to break that covenant to to eat the king's meat. He explains this. He has a sincere objection to taking this food. But then notice what he also does. He shows this official the respect that his office deserves. He asks the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. First part of verse 8, Daniel had already made the resolution in his heart. I'm not going to do it. Okay, that is settled in his mind. But now as he takes the matter up with his immediate authority, you'll notice how he very respectfully and carefully addresses the problem. Explaining the sincere religious objection that he has and now showing deference to the authority. Will you please... 
For the sake of my conscience, make an exception to the rule in my case. Will you grant me a religious exemption from your mandate? Look at verse 9. With God's help, Daniel's approach has completely disarmed his authority. Verse 9 says, And the king gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So, so the chief has, has heard Daniel, and he sees that this really is a godly man. His, his objections are, are really soul deep. And he's come to the chief with, with so much a deference. He, he's used so much care that he, he is just sympathetic now to Daniel's case. And it's because of God's doing. So we see here, verse, verse 9, that God is sovereign over all of this. He has not left Daniel. Even in this crisis of conscience moment, God is still there, and he's determining the outcome of things. God softens the heart of the chief. But verse 10, the chief is also too scared to agree. It says, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So here the chief is saying, Listen, Daniel, I am so sympathetic to you and and your problem, but listen, you've got to understand my situation too. I mean, The king gave me the mandate. I didn't create it. He did. I'm just passing it along to you. And if I don't follow the king's orders, he's going to come after me and you. We're both going to die. He says, Daniel, you wouldn't want me to die, would you? So Daniel, verses 11 through 13, he shows understanding of the, the difficult circumstances that his Immediate authority is in. And he makes a proposal. Verse 11. Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he says, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So, Daniel now says, I, yes, I understand your difficult position as well. So can we do this? Look, I don't have a problem with all of the king's food. It's just his wine and his meat. I can take the king's vegetables. So can we try just for a very short period of time, 10 days can we try a modified diet for, for me and my three friends? We'll eat the king's vegetables. We'll drink the king's water for 10 days. And then you can check on us and see how we have fared. Compare us to the young men who ate the meat and drank the wine. Are we stronger? Are we weaker? You can determine that for yourself after the brief trial period. So what Daniel is doing here is suggesting a short-term religious accommodation. And then he's giving his governing authority the freedom to reevaluate after the testing period. 
Now, you'll notice what Daniel does not do in response to his authority's uh, hesitation. He does not allow his emotions to get the better of him here. We know he's got to be in an emotionally tough spot right now. All that's happened to him, now this crisis of conscience, and now he's asked for an exemption, and the authorities hesitant to give it. Even now, he's not lost control. He's not seeking to escalate things with his authorities. He's not trying to stir up other people against his authorities. He doesn't try to frame this now as some kind of an epic battle between good and evil. He just sticks with it. He engages one-on-one with his governing authority, and he suggests a proposal that he thinks they could both live with. He's saying, look, I'm not asking you to turn the whole world upside down here. I'm just asking for an exemption for me and my three friends. And here are the accommodations that I think would not be burdensome for you. They would also work for us. And we'll make it 10 days, very short period of time. And he makes his, his uh, request just as reasonable as possible. And as unburdensome to the authorities as he can make it. And then Daniel decides to just leave the matter with God. Okay, look at the end of verse 13. He says, Let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So give us ten days, and then you decide what happens to us at the end of that trial. Now, of course, Daniel did not know what would happen at the end of those ten days. Uh, Would he and his friends be deemed fit? Would they be found wanting? Would they be kept in Nebuchadnezzar's training program? Would they be kicked out of it? Would they be sent to jail? Would they be killed for resisting the king's order? Would the immediate authorities uh, lose their nerve? And even if they did look good after 10 days, would you say, you know what, I just can't do it. I can't do it. My life is, is too valuable to me. I'm not going to extend your accommodations. Daniel didn't know. His friends didn't know. When we take similar stands, we will not know the results ahead of time either. That's because God has ordained that we humans should be bound to the present moment. We can't go back and change the past. We can't know all that our futures will hold. All we have is the moment that we are living in right now. God has ordained that we should live this way because it requires us to live by faith. It requires us to simply do the right thing at the moment that it's required and then believe in God when he says that all things work together for good to those who love him. Now, looking at Daniel and his friends, we find that the results for them couldn't have been better. Look at verses 15 and 16. It says, At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So 
Their, their immediate authority agreed to this 10-day trial period. They went through the 10 days, vegetarian diet, water to drink, while all of the other men in the program had the meat and the wine and, and all of the extras. At the end of 10 days, they were put to the test. And as they looked at Daniel and his three friends, compared them to the others, the official said, wow. Daniel and his friends look healthier than the other guys. They're stronger than them. They said to themselves, we'd be fools not to give them this accommodation long term. Look at the great results. And so the accommodation is made permanent. And then we hear the rest of the story of these men in verses 17 and following. It says, and as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all the literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So now God has rewarded their faithfulness, that that hard stand which they took. And now he is prospering them in their training program. They are mastering the language of Babylon. They're learning all of the literature Daniel has been given the special gift. He can even interpret visions and dreams. And then continuing on, verse 18, at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, that's after the three-year training period, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before King Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke to them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, and Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. Verse 20, And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. So they had a a rough ride into Babylon. And as they began the training program, immediately they had this crisis situation where they had to make a choice. Would they violate their covenant with God or would they take a hard stand and be faithful to Him no matter what? They chose to take the hard stand. And God was in it. And God gave them... Um, a sympathetic governing authority who gave them that religious accommodation. And so they were able to continue in the program and God just prospered their training. They were able to stand before King Nebuchadnezzar and were shown to be the best equipped men in all of his palace. Daniel and his friends became the best citizens that Babylon had to offer The king of Babylon himself came to rely on them for their wisdom. Friends, because of the faithfulness of Daniel and his friends, there was now a team of men surrounding the king of Babylon who could testify to the wisdom of the God of heaven. The God of heaven was vindicated over and against all of the false gods of Babylon, All of their magicians and enchanters, 
all of their religious leaders, the ones who worshipped Marduk and all of their other false gods, proven to be inadequate when compared to Daniel and his friends. You see, Daniel didn't know what his act of faithfulness would mean for him when he was a 15-year-old man standing before the king. But now we see the results. That faithfulness was rewarded by God and he came to stand before the most powerful man in the world. The wisdom of God was brought to bear on his palace. And then look at verse 21. It says, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, King Cyrus came to power about 70 years after Daniel was taken captive. So, Daniel was 15 when he came to Babylon. He outlived all of his captors. He outlived King Nebuchadnezzar even. Made it all the way to the days of King Cyrus. And do you know what happened in Cyrus' time? Cyrus issued a decree allowing all of the Jewish captives to go back to their homeland, rebuild their temple, re-erect the walls around Jerusalem, and re-establish their covenant with God. Daniel got to witness it all. If I can pivot to the present day, as our own society continues to march away from its biblical moorings, I believe that we're going to find ourselves in situations like Daniel's more and more. Laws and executive orders are going to be passed which shock the conscience of biblical Christians. Some of them may seek to compel Christian people to do what they believe would be sin. Other mandates will try to forbid Christians from doing that which they know God requires. We've already seen it the last couple of years. It will continue and increase in frequency. But friends, by the grace of God, we can face the days ahead with courage and moral clarity And with a strong faith in God and what He can do through these difficult moments. And we can engage the powers that be in a godly manner. And we can trust that God will use all of these events in our lives for His glory and our ultimate good. Now we may not see an immediate result like Daniel's. But we know that when history reaches its conclusion and God's justice has been done... It will have been good for us. Now granted, it's going to be difficult for us to respond as Daniel has done when we're experiencing injustices. I mean, when employers or governments abuse their authority and try to compel you to do things you cannot do, forbid you from doing things you must, you you will feel that anger building up inside of you. Anger and and fear. And you're going to be tempted to respond in ungodly ways. You're going to want to lash out at your authorities. You're going to want to take to social media and rip them to shreds. You're going to want to accept news interviews. Get on the airwaves and tell everybody how evil your authorities are. You're going to want everybody to know that you're not going to take it from them. It's going to be hard to respond well. 
But remember, none of these ungodly responses communicate the fruit of the Spirit. They don't show the world Christian love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or gentleness or faithfulness or self-control. These are to be the governing attributes of the church of Christ. Besides that, the ungodly responses will not serve to advance the church of Christ in any way. This ought to be the great desire of God's people to see His church advance. Besides that, you know, there are no examples in the Bible encouraging individuals or churches to respond to injustices in such a manner. The only examples we have are those like Daniel's. A a calm, courageous, controlled, godly response to a religious mandate that cannot be followed. The example to follow, friends, is not, the, is not what our hearts would tell us to do. It's to follow the example of Daniel. Or better yet, to follow the example of Christ. Do you remember how Christ responded to his arrest? There in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Judas and those soldiers came in, arresting Jesus, though he had done nothing wrong, The Apostle Peter was upset. He grabbed a sword and wanted to hack the head off of the arresting officer. Thankfully for that officer, Peter was a poor shot, and he just nicked the man's ear. Jesus healed the soldier's ear. He told Peter to put his sword away. He said, Christ's followers are not to respond that way when confronted with injustice. Do you remember how Jesus responded to all of the false witnesses that came in those trials? How he responded to the the high priests and to Pilate himself. Jesus remained silent before his accusers. And when he was compelled to respond, he responded with simple words of truth. You know, none of this was weakness for Jesus when he hung on that cross, refusing to get down, when he prayed to God, asking God to forgive them, for they know not what they do, when he responded in in meekness rather than with rage. None of this was communicating weakness on Christ's part. In fact, it was the greatest possible display of strength For it showed the great resolve in his heart to do his Father's will. It showed his courage in the face of danger. It showed his fearlessness in the face of death. It showed his absolute trust in the sovereign plans of God. And his belief that his Father would work all of this out for his glory and for the good of many. Responding well in a crisis shows your spiritual strength. It shows that you have been mastered by the God of heaven, that you will not respond to the world with worldly methods. You know, when Jesus says to us, follow me, what he means is, do things my way and trust me. So friends, by God's grace, let us do that. 
Let's follow the example of Daniel. Follow the example of Christ. Let us do things His way and see the amazing results that He brings about. Let's pray together. Lord, in today's text, we've looked at a very godly man and his godly friends faced with a mandate that they could not follow without sinning against you. And we see the godliness of their resolve that they would not comply with such a mandate. They would comply with your mandate, your law, your covenant. They would choose a clear conscience over liberty and even life. Lord, help us to come to the same resolve. Should we ever find ourselves in a position like Daniel, would you help us to be courage, to have the moral clarity that he had, to have the faith that he had, and then to take our stand? And Lord, as we engage with our governing authorities, might we engage them as Daniel has done. Responsibly, respectfully, with a reasonable accommodation to suggest, with not a shred of rage or resentment to be found in us. And Lord, help us to trust you with the results. Perhaps you will give us favor in the eyes of our authorities that we might continue to live peaceful and quiet lives here. Or perhaps, Lord, it will be your will that the ungodliness of the authorities should truly be revealed as they persecute the church, even as it seeks to live godly before you. And when those times come, Lord, might the beauty of Christ shine through. Might the, might the church rise to the occasion and show the world what the fruit of the Spirit look like when they are under pressure. Lord, help us in good times and in difficult times to be good witnesses of your Son. Might you use all circumstances that we encounter to build your church, adding new citizens to the coming kingdom every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.